Uh, my name's Chris Hall. If you don't know me, um, I served here at the University of Texas with Christian students for a number of years, and I'm so excited to be back here with you this morning. Just so you know where I'm coming from, I consider this the highest privilege in the whole universe. I think this is the most important thing that's happening on God's good earth. So I'm really happy and excited to be here with you. I can see your faces on this screen right here in front of me. Um, I'm excited because God's going to speak to you. And I know that not because I'm sharing, but because God wrote a book. And we're going to be in it. We're going to be in John chapter 7. I hope you got one of those outlines. It's message 4. It's the need of the thirsty. Life's quenching. Um, anytime we open the Word of God, it's got profitable counsel and command and wisdom and warning. And, and as women and children and men of God, it makes us complete. It fully equips us for every good work. So anytime we're in this book and we have ears to hear, God is going to speak to us. That's what's going to happen this morning if you have ears to hear. And let me tell you, I, I want you to know where I'm going from the jump. I want to show you all my cards. I don't want there to be a surprise ending. I want you to know where we're going from the very beginning. What God's going to speak to us from His Word is deeper than your mind. It's deeper than the level of the mind. What Jesus has to speak with us in John chapter 7 is on the level of the heart. It's on the level of desire. It pierces through your reasoning and your logic and your philosophy, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what person you want to vote for, no matter where you grew up, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, what Jesus cries out from the middle of John chapter 7 is on the level of the heart and it levels the playing field for everyone. It applies to every person who's ever had breath in their lungs and blood in their veins. If you're alive, then what God has to say this morning is for you. From John chapter 7. So, I want us to begin and just let the, let the Word do the work. I want you to write this sentence down. This is the main point of everything um, we're going to be getting into this morning. This is the main point. If you get this sentence, you're going to get everything. And if you only get this sentence, you're going to get everything. Okay? So find a way to write this down. Find a way to text it to yourself. If you got a pen, if you got a notepad, I hope you do. If you got a phone, you can text it to yourself. You can take a picture of your friend that's writing it down. Okay? <laughs> I want you to get this. Write this down. This is the point. To be human is to live with an undeniable thirst. To be human is to live with an undeniable thirst. That progress only clarifies. That progress only clarifies. To be human is to live with an undeniable thirst. That progress only clarifies and Jesus only satisfies. To be human is to live with an undeniable thirst that progress only clarifies and Jesus only satisfies. That's the point. If that's all you get, you got it. 
in that one sentence. And just so that we're clear on our terms, I want, I want to define thirst for you. What do you mean, Chris, when you say thirst? What are you talking about? Make sure we're on the same page here. By thirst, and I'm using it in the sense that Jesus uses it in John chapter 7. I'm using it figuratively. I'm using it metaphorically. I'm not using it literally. I'm using it in the sense that Jesus uses it in John chapter 7. What do you mean by thirst? Figuratively and metaphorically, Chris, I mean a strong, ardent desire. A strong, ardent desire to crave vehemently and urgently. What do you mean by thirst? I mean a strong, ardent desire. That's what Jesus is speaking on the level of this morning, the level of desire, thirst, a strong desire to crave vehemently and urgently. That's what I mean by thirst. What I want for you is I want you to see this principle. I want you to see this point in Scripture. I want you to see that, the principle in Scripture, and then, and then I want us to feel it in John chapter 7. I want to dive into John chapter 7 and I want you to feel it fleshed out in this chapter this morning. So, I want you to see that I'm not making this up. Don't take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. There are two verses and an additional point that are not on your outline this morning. So if you got an outline in front of you, I hope you do. If you got it, it's incomplete, okay? I'm going to give you two verses to look at and an additional point at the end. And the first verse I want you to look at, it's not on your outline, is Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's Ecclesiastes 3.11. I hope you got it memorized. I hope it's kind of like on the back of your eyelids when you go to sleep at night. Um, I hope you look it up, but if you don't, it says this, God has put eternity in man's heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity in man's heart. Why is there an undeniable thirst inside of every man, woman, and child. God put it there. God has put eternity in man's heart. That's what he tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Um, I got everything that I ever wanted by the time I was 17 years old. I got everything I ever wanted in life by the time I was 17 years old. Um, I'm not that deep, okay? All I ever wanted was to be cool, to be a great football player, and to be really, really popular. That's all I ever wanted. And I got all of that by the age of 17. Me and my friends, we were, we were the life of the party. I was the big man on campus. I was first team all state heading into my senior year, and that meant the world to me. My family, it, it's, a, it's a God and then number two, or number three, but maybe number two, it's football after that, okay? It's Jesus, and then it's, you know, it's football. Probably number three, you know, maybe family number two, but you know what I'm saying. It was a huge deal. It's all I ever wanted. And I got all of it by the time I was 17 years old. And I can remember coming home on the weekends after I got my accomplishments with my friends I've got everything I ever wanted in life. I'm the big dog in Irving, Texas, which is not that huge of a place. Irving High is even smaller. But anyway, I'd come home and I'd lay on my bed at night and I would sense this big 
aching hole in my chest. I felt so empty. And I'd come, I'd come home from laughing and having a great time and being with my people and wearing my letter jacket and my status that I thought I had and I would ache when I'd lay in bed at night staring up at the ceiling and I just realized this isn't it. I'm not satisfied. I'm still not satisfied. Got some quotes for you. This is from Bernard Levin. He's one of the most famous journalists from the previous century. He was not a Christian, okay? He was not a Christian. Bernard Levin wrote this. He said, Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non material blessings as a happy family and yet lead lives of desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. What aches? The hole inside of them that they can't fill up with temporal things like friends and stuff and fame. Russell Brand, he's a famous comedian. He's alive and, and living today. At least I think he still is. He said this, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside of me. How about that for honesty? Jim Carrey, famous actor, comedian, he said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. If the rich and the famous, the celebrated, the accomplished, if all of their progress only clarifies their lingering thirst, what do you think it's, what do you think it's going to do for me and you? You think it's going to be any different? To be human is to live with an undeniable thirst that progress only clarifies and Jesus only satisfies. We thirst because God put it there. He put eternity in our heart. That aching desire that cannot be satisfied by temporal things is what Jesus describes as thirst in John chapter 7. Now, the good news for you that's not all the Bible has to say about it. Second verse you do not have on your sheet is Psalm 1611. Hope you memorize it. Hope you pray it. Hope you remember it on your wedding day. Hope you remember it every day from here on out into eternity. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. You. This is David, the psalmist. He's writing, you O oh God, You make known to me the path of life. In Your presence is fullness of joy. At Your right hand there are pleasures forever. This is King David speaking. He's got wealth. He's got riches. He's got power. He's got women. He's got status. And what does he have to say about joy and pleasure? He says, You make known to me the path of life. It's in your presence 
That's where there's fullness of joy is at your right hand. That's where there's pleasures forever. You know what he's talking about when he talks about God's right hand? He's talking about Christ. You know where Christ is today? Hopefully He's inside of you, but for sure He's at the right hand of the Father. You know where forever pleasures are? They're in Jesus. Don't take my word for it. It's what Psalm 110.1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Not just a temporary distraction, not just numbing your pain for the night. Fullness of joy. Forever pleasures. So, what I want to ask you is how long? How long do you plan on living? Circling the fountain, looking for something to drink. How long do you plan on living, as it were, circling the fountain of life? He from whom flows rivers of living water, dying of thirst, and desperately trying to find a drink from this source, or this relationship, or this accomplishment. How long will we live in close proximity to Christ who bids us come and drink and um, yet still be dying of thirst and looking for a drink from somewhere else? You know, if anybody has the right to be anxious, I think it's you. There's never been another generation that has lived on God's green earth that has faced the unique set of problems that you have. You were born into a post-9-11 world where bombs and guns and surprise attacks are the norm. Since 2001, school shootings have become normal, unfortunately. They happen all the time. You're the only generation to grow up with a smartphone in your hand who's constantly constantly having your own inadequacies revealed to you because you see beautiful, accomplished, curated, filtered people flowing through your outline and through your stories day in and day out. You grew up in the Great Recession. Your parents lost their jobs. Your older siblings and cousins graduated college with a mountain of debt and couldn't find a job. You have real problems. So I understand why you have real anxieties. When we're anxious, when we are experiencing anxiety, we seek security. When we're experiencing anxiety, we seek security, and usually we seek it in one place. We don't look for it in Almighty God. We look for it in the Almighty Dollar. Let me ask you a question. If you're thirsty for security, do you, do you really think... Do you really think money's going to quench your thirst? I think if anybody could turn around and look at the year 2020, I think we could all pretty much conclude that it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. You know, the United States of America is the most affluent, wealthy society that's ever existed. It's a juggernaut. In terms of standard of living, in terms of prosperity, <laughs> we live in such opulence. It's... Julius Caesar couldn't have imagined 
He couldn't have imagined the kind of affluence and wealth that you and I, normal, day in and day out people, live in. And what 2020 has proved to us is it's a house of cards. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Bank account, it's just numbers on a screen. All that has to happen is an, another, another virus strain that nobody's seen before it just has to hop on a plane. And the whole thing's blown over. Money's, money's not going to quench our thirst for security. But you may not be oriented that way anyway. For you, it may be love. It may be romance. You may have seen one too many romantic comedies, okay? Uh, maybe like the rest of us, okay? Maybe for you, you're thinking love and romance. Like that's going to... I just got to find the one. Lord Jesus, help me find the one. Okay, well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but a little bit I do, okay? <laughs> what every couple, no matter how awesome um, the uh, coming together is, no matter how beautiful the wedding is, no matter how much money they got and how good their Instagram profile looks, what every couple eventually realizes is that when they look across the table, they sense this somewhere deep down. You don't quench my thirst. I thought you would. I hoped you would. But you don't. Now I'm, what am I going to do? Don't trade them in for a newer model, okay? That's not the answer. I'm sure your spouse is great. They're just not God. And He put eternity in your heart. We can never place expectations on another person that only God could satisfy and fulfill. It's wrong. It's wrong. But, but we do. We're hoping the one, that relationship, my marriage, my... I'm sure your spouse is going to be great but they're not going to be God. I mean, you will get married to the Lord someday, but that's another message. <laughs> We're talking about John chapter 7. But for you, it may not be money. It may not be romance. You just may, hey, I want to leave my mark on the world. I want to make the world a better place. I want to leave it better than when I found it. I want to change the world. That's what I'm hungry for. That's what I long for. Justice in all the right ways. It's awesome. One of the saddest things that I found out recently. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I don't want to get into all that. Just get the principle. One of the heroes of the Western world. He, his life fundamentally changed the Western world for the better. He literally changed the world in the best kind of way. <laughs> He's a hero. I found out recently that all the time while he was doing that, giving his life to changing the world in the best kind of way, all the while he was doing that publicly, in his public life, in his personal life, he was a serial adulterer. He had something like 40 different affairs on his wife the whole time that was taking place. And it just, it, it saddened me. Because he is, he's, I mean, he's such, he did so much with his life, but on the personal side, it's like, what was this going on over here? 
He was thirsty. He was thirsty. Changing the world didn't quench his thirst. So he sought it out somewhere else. That doesn't mean it's right. But it just clarifies. It clarifies the need. To be human is to live with an undeniable thirst that progress only clarifies and Jesus only satisfies. Not to burst your parents' bubble either, but fulfilling all their dreams for you. That's not, that's not going to do it either. It's not going to quench your thirst. It's not going to quench their thirst. You're, you're a great, I'm sure you're a great kid, but you're not God. And they were made to drink living water. It's not those things, but that's, what it's, that's what's at stake. If you don't get where we're going this morning, that's, that's why this is important. Because you're thirsty, and I know you are. I know you because I know me. Okay? And if you're thinking, like right now, I mean, I kind of feel you, but I kind of don't. I mean, I'm really doing pretty good, and I'm happy where I'm at. I mean, I got a little bit of Jesus um, sometime, some way, but mainly what I'm doing is I'm doing my thing on my career and I play some video games on the weekend and I got the one locked up for a few years later on and I'm good. <laughs> I mean, really, I, mean, I appreciate what you're saying. That's good for most people, but honestly, I'm doing all right. I'm, I, don't, I don't think I thirst like that. Well, honestly, if that's the way you feel, you just need to live a few more years on the earth, okay? <laughs> because progress is going to clarify your thirst. That's what's going to happen. Okay, so now we're going to hop into the outline. We've got four points. I know it says three, there's four. The scene, the cry, the call, and the end. Okay, four points. The scene, the cry, the call, and the end. What's the scene? John chapter 7 is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Jews call it Sukkot, or however it's supposed to be pronounced. Okay, and what they would do is they would set up all these little booths, like these little tents. Sometimes you'll see it on campus when being actually on campus was a thing. Um, people would set up these little booths. Jews would set up booths during Sukkot to celebrate together. And the reason they do that is to remember a time when they dwelt in the wilderness in tents. Okay, God brought them out of that and established them in the good land. Okay, so once a year at the end of harvest, okay, they would celebrate the Feast of Booths. And that um, doesn't necessarily make that much um, sense to us how awesome of a thing and how awesome of a time that was, like a week-long Thanksgiving, okay? But for an agrarian society, there's no better time than the end of harvest. For an agrarian society, there's no better time in the whole year than then when harvest is done. Why? Because you got food to eat for the rest of the year, okay? Now, you know, I know for us, you know, like me, like this weekend, I was opening up the fridge, things full of food, and I'm like, mm, nothing really to eat. Close the thing, you know what I'm saying? Oh, food full of fridge. Was kind of wanting something particular though. Close it, nothing to eat. Okay, um, for most of human history, they weren't living month to month, they were living day to day, okay? They're hoping to have enough calories, to put enough calories in their body to subsist, to 
the next day, okay? That's been the human struggle for most of time. It's only been here in the last 500 years or so that things have, have changed, okay? So if you're an agrarian society, you've been working all year long, you finally harvested, you see the fruit, literally, the fruit of your labor, and you know you and your family can eat bread for the rest of the year, that's a happy time. It's the happiest of times. It'd be like all our holidays rolled into one, okay? And they celebrate every year, they come together at the end of harvest and celebrate what God has done. Feast of Booths. So that's what's going on. And what's unique about this chapter, it's unique in biblical narrative, is that it elucidates for us. It records all the various reactions to who Jesus is and what he's saying. It records the various reactions from the crowd. Usually, biblical narrative is pretty sparse. A lot of times you don't get a lot of dialogue. Um, and you especially don't get a lot of dialogue from multiple parties, okay? So the fact that John takes the time to record the various reactions from the crowd, from the Pharisees, from the chief priests, from the soldiers, from his own brothers, from Jesus' own brothers, the fact that he takes the time to do that is unique. And so what I want us to do is actually, I mean, you should have, you should have the whole chapter on your outline. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take about the next hour and a half, and I'd like us to read it together, and then just take more time to talk about it. But I don't have that long. But if you'll raise your hand right now, then I'll know I can do that. No, I'm just kidding. I've only got a few more minutes. Um, I mean, i got enough time, but you know what I'm saying. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to walk through the different reactions. I'm going, to tell them where they, I'm going to tell you where they are so you can look at them. You should have the chapter in front of you. If you don't, grab a Bible. These things do exist. They're physical books and God, God, God wrote Scripture and put it in things like this. You can do that or you can use your phone. There's apps. There's all kind of tools, okay? I'll be up to date with the modern age. Um, but I'm going to highlight for you where these reactions are. I want you to look at them. The first category person in John chapter 7? Well, really, it's not his brothers. It's, it's, the, it's the leading Jews. In, in verse uh, 1, it says the Jewish leaders were seeking to kill Jesus. Great way to start things off, okay? The leaders of your people, they want to kill you. Okay, first reaction to Jesus and what he's been doing based on the previous messages and chapters that we've been getting into. Uh, what's the general reaction from the Jewish leaders? We want to murder him. Okay. All right. That's number one. How about his own brothers? About his own brothers. Verse four. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. You might read that and think like, oh, awesome. Like his brothers believe in him. But actually, you just read the next verse. It's actually, it's a sarcastic kind of comment. Because it says just after that, for not even his own brothers believed in him. Hey, Mr. Miracle Man. Hey, Messiah sent from heaven. Hey, why don't you go, yeah, go, go get some more disciples for yourself, huh? Why don't you go show yourself? Why don't you go do some more miracles, huh, big guy? Not even his own brothers believed in him. You would think if you, you know, heal a paralyzed man and make bread rain from the sky, you know, I mean, I guess he did that in Exodus, but you know what I'm saying. How about the crowd? Verse 12. He's a good man. He's a good man. 
Verse 12, no, 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 no. He's leading the people astray. He's leading the people astray. No, he's good. No, no, no. Mm -mm. He's leading. He's misleading. He's leading the people astray. Verse 15, how is this man, how does he have learning when he's never studied? How does he have learning when he's never studied? What you're getting are various reactions from people with basically the same background. Many different varied reactions to the same set of information. You're seeing how these different people think, process the information that's been set before them, process that, what do they think about it, how they react, what's going on in their mind, in their logic, in their philosophy, their reasoning. These people who are from reasonably the same kind of background, same religious background, same kind of race, how do they react when they take in the same set of information? Where are they coming from? Verse 20, you have a demon. Verse 20, who's seeking to kill you? You have a demon. Huh, who's seeking to kill you? Verse 26, can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? (laughs) Have they realized, have the authorities realized that this is the Christ? Verse 27, but but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, see, no, no, but let me let you in a secret. When the Christ appears, nobody's going to know where he comes from. So, see, it's a problem. You didn't think about, but I thought about, you know. Verse 31, when the Christ comes, will he show more signs than this man has done? Did y'all think about that? When the Christ comes, will he show more signs? Think about the signs. You know where he's from, but did you think about the signs? Remember he healed the guy? Remember he like fed those thousands of people? Verse 35, where does this man intend to go? Verse 36, what does he mean? Verse 40, this really is the prophet. Verse 41, this really is the Christ. Verse 41, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Verse 42, has not the scripture said, this is the really intelligent guy, has not, hath not the scripture said, I don't think he talked like that, that the Christ comes from David and from Bethlehem. Hadn't the scripture said that? Okay, how about from the soldiers? Verse 46, no one has ever spoken like this man. No one's ever spoken like him. About from the chief priests and Pharisees, verse 47, have you also been deceived? Verse 48, have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? You think about that? Verse 49, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They're accursed. Everything they said, it's all trash. This crowd, they're accursed. Take their opinion, what they think. Verse 51, does our law condemn a man without first giving him a hearing? Verse 52, search and see. You look, you read the Bible. You see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. What a bunch of very different reactions to the same set of information. Same person, same words, same actions. And the people, they're from the same background, same religion, same kind of philosophy. So many different, so many different reactions processing the same information. Everybody's really unique, aren't they? What Jesus does 
that he pierces through all of that. He doesn't address hardly any of their thoughts and their sayings and their questions. What he does is he he pierces to something much deeper, thirst. Yeah, you think you know where I'm from, but you don't. Um, You think I'm not learned. Um, I did one work. You're trying to kill me. He pierces through all of that with a cry. I want to read it to you. This is John chapter 7. In the middle of all of those reactions, this is the last day. His brothers went up on the first day. He said, it's not my time yet. He went up in the middle of the feast. Remember, he's been going there year after year with his people, his family, his friends, celebrating what God has done, the harvest. We've got food to eat. And I think all that while, this is just coming from me, I think all that while, I think there was something building inside of him. I got finally released in verse 37 and 38 and 39. All those years, all those feasts, all that time, all that conjecture. Verse 37, on the last day. I'm going to read all these verses for you and then we'll go back and get into them. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, does anyone here thirst? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Does anyone here thirst? If you find yourself still unsatisfied and thirsty, despite your accomplishments, despite your relationships, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. I will give him to drink. Let him come to me. He who believes into me, as the Scripture said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he said concerning the Spirit. This is John's commentary. This he said concerning the Spirit, whom those who believed into him were about to receive, for the Spirit was not yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. You know when he did this? He did it on the last day. The great day. You know the problem with human life? There's always a last day. There's the last day that I played football. Doesn't matter how good I was. There was the last day. Doesn't matter how good it was. There's the last day. Even for marriage. There's a last day. It doesn't matter how awesome it is. It's till death do you part. And death does you part. For your career, there's a last day. There's a day that you either get fired or you retire or they push you out as quick as possible. There's always a last day with human enjoyment. And that's what's going on here. It's the pinnacle of human enjoyment, the last day at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the last day. What does Jesus do? He stands up and He cries out. That word for cry there, it's to shriek. 
It's, it's, it's to call. It's to cry aloud. It's to scream. It's to exclaim. It's to entreat. If anyone thirsts, I think he finally had enough. I think he finally had enough conjecture. I think he'd gone to that feast for too many years and he finally stood up and said, I am the fountain. Do you thirst? I'm here. I came. I've lived and I've dwelt among you as a normal man for 30 years and now I'm unveiling who I am. I am God incarnate and I've come to satisfy the thirst in your inner being. I know it's there and you can't deny it. What you want I am. Notice he doesn't say, if anyone thirsts, let him come to God and drink. He doesn't say that. That's what you and I would say. He says, let him come to me because he is God. And he's come to flow out living water and to quench the strong, ardent desire that you and I have. It's to quench our thirst, the hole in our chest that career and success and relationships won't fulfill. He said, if anyone thirsts, do you thirst? I hope you hear this when you go to sleep tonight. Do you thirst? I know you do. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 39, this he said concerning the Spirit. And when you say thirst and drink, what are you actually talking about, Chris? Thirst, drink, drink what? What are you actually talking about? Good thing is, I don't have to explain it. John did in verse 39. This he said concerning the Spirit. No, he wasn't talking about a literal cup of water. He was talking about the Spirit. He who comes to me and believes in me, I'll give him to drink. I'll put in him a fountain of living waters. This he said concerning the Spirit. What are we talking about? the Spirit, whom those who believed into Him were about to receive, for the Spirit was not yet. Now, when you hear that, you should say, er, what? If you're paying attention, you should say, what? what? The Spirit was not yet? The Spirit of God's been around since page one of Genesis, so I know that the Spirit is yet. Well, what's that mean? What do you mean the Spirit's not yet? Well, remember, okay, you and I speak English, okay? And what we read are translations of Greek manuscripts, okay? If you could read Koine Greek, then hey, just, just pick that thing up and get after it, big boy, okay? But for most of us, we're working with English here, okay? And so, so, what's going on here is that in most English translations, they supply the word given here for the Spirit was not yet given. Most English translations supply that word in a good heart to make clear like, wait, yeah, the Spirit does exist, okay? But the word given is not actually there. And anytime something doesn't seem to make sense, something doesn't seem to line up in Scripture, what you should do is you should dig deeper. You should try and go a little deeper and keep digging there. And the Spirit is not just some kind of general term. John's not just using it like he's writing an essay and I kind of want to change things up, so let me kind of rework with some different designations here. The Spirit has several different designations, titles, and names 
throughout the Bible. I'll give you an example. Genesis chapter 1, he's called the Spirit of God. In Isaiah 61.1, he's the Spirit of the Lord. In Psalm 51.11, he's the Spirit of holiness. In Matthew 1.18, he's the Holy Spirit. In Acts 16.7, he's the Spirit of Jesus. In Romans 8.9, he's the Spirit of Christ. In Philippians 1.19, he's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 1.4, he's the seven spirits. Are, there all, are those all different? No, they're not all different. Same person. But different designations emphasizing different aspects of his person and his work. Different designations, different emphases of his person and his work. Just like, for example, you could call me daddy. Don't do that, okay? But there are certain people in the world who do. My two daughters, namely, okay? And when they use the term daddy, they're emphasizing something special about my person, okay? Meaning I am their physical father, okay? But you could also call me brother. It doesn't mean I've changed. It just means you're emphasizing a different aspect of who I am. That's what the Bible does. And here, the Spirit is not a general term. The Spirit is a technical term that the Apostle John uses again in the New Testament. Well, what's he emphasizing? What's he talking about? Don't, don't, take my, don't take my suggestion, okay? Let's look, at, let's look at the verse. Let's look at the verse itself. The Spirit was not yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. What's that mean? Glorified. Glorified here refers to Christ's resurrection. How do you know that, Chris? I made it up. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> It came from Luke chapter 24, 26. For Jesus to be glorified refers to his resurrection. And we know, we know, based on an ancient truth regarding the Trinity called coherence. Probably a new word for you. Coherence. If you're coming from a different theological background, you'd probably call it perichoresis. What's it talking about? It means the three of the Godhead, they mutually indwell one another. They mutually indwell one another. They coexist and they co-inhere. They mutually penetrate one another. What's that mean? It means you can't separate them. They're distinct, but not separate. And when you get one, you get all. What are you talking about here, Chris? When Jesus resurrected, all of His person, His work, His accomplishments, His obtainments, and His attainments. All of that became available to us in the Spirit. When we get the Spirit, we get all that Christ has done, all that He is, all that He won for us, all that He accomplished and obtained, all that He is has become available to us in the Spirit. The Spirit refers to the all-inclusiveness of who He is and what is available to us when we, what? Drink of Him. I forgive this overly simplistic illustration, but it's like the Spirit is a divine smoothie and all the ingredients of Christ's work and person have been added to that. Now, if I want to access that, what do I do? It's been blended up. It's been made. It's available. What do I do with that thing? I study it, and I look at it, and then I go away and I think about it. No! You drink it! You drink it! Especially if you're thirsty. How about if you're dying of thirst and you're hungry? What do you do with that smoothie? You drink it! It's what I did with the smoothie I made this morning. You drink it. 
To be human is to live with an undeniable thirst that progress only clarifies and Jesus only satisfies. What do you do with the whole in your being? You come to Christ and you drink the Spirit. Now, some of you, if you're real quick thinkers, you're probably thinking, that sounds good. How do I do that? How do I do that? How do I, how do I drink the Spirit? Sounds a little uh, abstract for me. Okay? How do I do that? You don't have to take my opinion about it. You can just read the Bible. Number three, the call. Psalm 116, 12 through 13. What's the psalmist think? What shall I return to Jehovah? For all his benefits toward me. What should I do? You saved me. You're, you're satisfying me. I, you ransomed me. You came and you lived and you died and you rose from me. What should I give in return? What can I do? I'll take the cup of salvation. And what? And call upon the name of the Lord. How do you drink the Spirit? You call upon the name of the Lord. Some of you might be thinking, oh yeah, that's prayer. I know about that. No, it's not. It's not just prayer. It's a specific kind of prayer that you need to learn how to do. And it's the expression of a genuine heart. When you call on the name of Jesus, 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 I'm thirsty. Jesus, I'm thirsty. Satisfy my thirst. I need you, Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, when you call, you'll start to drink. Number four, this is the end, and we got to go. But there's a fourth point that's not on your sheet. The scene, the cry, the call, and the end. Verse 38, Jesus doesn't just give you a drink. He makes you a channel through whom others can drink. That's what He does. Jesus doesn't just manifest and inform Jesus satisfies and transforms. Okay? Jesus doesn't just, doesn't just give you a drink. He makes you a channel through whom others can drink. That's what He wants to do. And uh, just to wrap up here, we're done. This is a little word to all the men and women that serve you at your college campus. This is directly to them. That's the kind of person you are. You're a channel through whom other men and women can drink. I know you don't get talked to a lot. I know you don't get praised a lot. There's no end-of-the-year bonus. But I want to tell you, I met people just like you when I was 18. I walked on the University of Texas and I met people who were genuinely satisfied. They didn't come off as big brains to me. They knew the word better than anybody I'd ever met. They didn't come off as giant minds. What they came off as is people who were genuinely satisfied. And I wanted to know, what is that? I want that. And that's what you are. So if you're a student and uh, you've experienced that, you might ought to tell one of those people, who are serving at your campus, thank you. It sure does feel good. And it sure is worth it. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this conference. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. 
make us those who quench our thirst. Come to the fountain. Come to Christ and drink the Spirit. We thank you, Lord. In your name, amen.